Praise God. Y'all can have a seat. Blast students and blast leaders can head back to the back if you would like to. All right. While they're heading out, we'll do a little, uh, take care of a little administrivia. I mentioned to you earlier, we're going to have some pizza after worship today. It's at our house, which is 11, not 1119, it is 1518 Washington, right down the street from the church office. Um, if you're interested in going, could you raise your hand for me real quick? Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Do you get that? Yeah. I don't know, 12 plus three, four, double that. All right, do it one more time. One more time for me. We're just learning how to do this process, right? Yeah, I was pretty close. You good with that? Yeah. Yep. Maybe 20. All right, good. Praise God. Well, that's how we do it. Someone said, why don't you do a sign-up list thing? Do you guys like sign-up sheet list things? Who's a planner here? Who's a planner? I apologize, MJ. Yeah, I apologize. See, three of you. That's all that we have left now of the planners in our church. Yeah. Um, no, we, w- we want to make it informal, and we want to make a time. I want to explain a little bit about it. We're going to get into the Word, but I want to explain a little bit about why we're doing that. Um, we just feel like everything is so compressed for Family Bible Church because we rent this space. Now, I know some of you come out for Bible studies through the week. Some of you come out and, and do something else and get together. We're going to have family groups, which are going to be awesome. They're kicking off um, in a few weeks here. Um, and so that's a great way to spend more time together and, you know, kind of um, doing life together, living life, caring about one another, loving one another well. Um, but we realize as a church, we don't have a chance just to all hang out often. And so we try to build that in this year. We usually have New Year's soup this time of year. We actually wait till the Greenville students come back in a couple more weeks to do that. But we're going to not do it and instead do pizza monthly with everybody. So hope you can uh, think about that. If you're a planner, third Sunday, next month, it'll happen again. And you can be ready. You can be like, I know this time I'm raising my hand because I'm going to go. All right? Praise God. Well, we're going to spend some time today. We're in a series. I'm going to see if I can find the proper starting. Hey, I found it. Good deal. Uh, Slide. We're in this three-week series we're doing uh, called More Than Enough, right? And it's this look at, at our opportunities to give to others. And we've been talking about it. It's from the 8th, 9th, and 10th chapters of the second uh, letter to the Corinthian church. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. I say that to you so you can read it on your own. I don't want you coming here on Sunday and being like, well, because the pastor said, it would be much better that you would look at the word of God yourself and see what it says. Just read it. One of the beautiful things about scripture is it, what it says out like, the first thing it says is what it means. And there's always deeper meanings, but man, it's right there for all of us to get. God is not hiding himself from us. He is demonstrating himself through his scripture. So if you doubt or want to read on your own, I would encourage you to do that. Hopefully you're doing some uh, Bible study and Bible reading on your own. Um, one thing that gives me a chance to do is also explain we got some green paint on the walls today. We did not do that. That was here for us. But it matches our green boxes in the back. And we always say those are our joy boxes, and everybody goes, woo, right? <clears throat> but it gives me a chance to explain again. And this has been this way since the church started, I think. Now, Don's here. You can probably correct me if I'm wrong. But we don't pass plates here. We've made a decision not to do that. Most churches you go to, it's Don, isn't it? Yeah, my eyes are so bad, man. I can't even see that far anymore. Age is getting me. But we make an intentional decision not to pass plates. You might go to services where they pass a plate or they pass a hat or they pass a popcorn bucket. I've been to that church. You've been to the popcorn bucket church? That's right. Yeah, I've been to one of those. And so they pass something for you to put your offering in. 
but we, we are trying to figure out, like, we want you to be blessed to be part of what we're doing at Family Bible, and we don't want you to feel obligated, like, on that moment, like that pizza question I asked you, you know? And so, for us, the joy boxes gives us a chance to do that. Yeah, I know, it's like a thing you have to do, but it gives you a chance to do that on your own to make a decision about giving. We're going to talk about where that comes from today, because we're in 2 Corinthians uh, 9 today. We're going to be studying that. Um, but I wanted to kind of start there today and talking about that's why we do that and that's why we don't pass a plate. That's also the why you have to put your prayer concerns in there because like it's all the stuff goes there because we have to be loading out of here at, uh, at 1130. So um, that's the deal. I, I wonder, a few weeks ago we, 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 uh, we, I said canceled worship. We didn't cancel worship. We just didn't meet here for worship, but we encourage you to meet on your own and one of the things that was challenging for us and our family was how we offer gifts to God. How do we do that? When we talked about that that morning from the scriptures, if you don't know it, from the very beginning of the, of the Bible, you know, the Bible is, um, is a book of books, but from the very beginning, there was this idea of what we offer to God. And we spent some time that morning on um, the first Sunday of this year talking to our kids about Cain and Abel and their offerings to God. And, and um, I, I don't know, as I was studying this scripture this week, I kept thinking, you know, do we, do we as the people of God, do we give to God first or last, right? And that's interesting based on the letter to Second Corinthians, because Paul's pushing on the church to kind of live up to their commitments. And that's not why I'm preaching this, by the way. I'm not pushing on you to live up to your commitments, but he's saying, you said you'll do it, now follow through and do it right? Many of us will say things like, well, I'll, I, will, I will give when I, when I can give. I, I, will, I will be generous to others when I can afford to be generous to others. Or, or um, I'm going to wait and see how my taxes go, and then I'll see if I need some more contributions, and I'll find a worthy organization. We, we postpone our planning of, of giving to God. And I'm not sure that's what the Bible teaches about giving. It seems as though, as Christ, we come first to him. Well, I meet on Sundays here and not on Saturdays, right? Our first and our best goes to God. It's our first day of work, our first day of offering. So that's a bit. And I was asking the questions, you know, in your own life, and these are just questions. I'm not picking on you, but do you give from an abundance or do you give from a lack? That's a fair question. Or do you, do you, do you prefer to give first or do you prefer to give last? You prefer to see what you, you have at the end, what you can afford to give. Well, today we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to do what we always do when we enter into the Word of God, and I would hope you do this on your own. If you're reading along on your own or doing other studies, pray that God would give us wisdom to understand His Word. We need Him to help us do that. So pray with me today, if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the chance to be here today together as your people gathered in this place to worship you. That's why we've come here today, Father, to, to know more of you and help you or allow you to help us understand more of ourselves, who we are in you. Pray, Father God, as we open your word, that you would give us the presence of your Holy Spirit. We know he is with us always and in us and teaching us, but today, right now, we ask that he would especially help us to understand your word, that you could reveal yourself to us through it, and that we could learn to live a life worthy of the calling we've received in you, that we can know you and live more glorifying lives to you through the right understanding of your word. Help us to do that. Help us to know you and worship you more fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, verses 6 through 15. 
We're going to kind of talk as we go through. Now, if you weren't here, if you weren't here last week, we covered eight, um, one through fifteen, and there's a little section of scripture there we're skipping. You can read that. I'm not trying to do any trickery here, but we're going to come back and hit that in the final week next week. So, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six, Paul writing to the church. He says, "Remember this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap." Generously, I find it interesting that Paul, in the middle of this letter, says, remember this. Remember this. Don't forget this idea. He lays out this, this principle, an agricultural um, analogy of what it means to, to give and maybe to receive, right? He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Isn't that what it says? And if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And so that's the first thing I want you to see here today is that um, he starts with this agricultural analogy. Now, the Bible is filled, and as a matter of fact, I told you about Cain and Abel. Their first offerings came from the earth, right? I mean, uh, that's how that went. And so they had stuff they did with their hands, and that's where they got their offering from. But it was this idea that you sow and then you reap. There are some things that we can take right there from that idea of how this is set up, how our giving is set up, that we should understand. We can just... In other words, it's accessible to us. And the first is this, that there is a seasonal difference between when we sow and when we reap. I don't know, have you ever planted a garden before? Like you don't plant a garden and then the next day have fruit. Like or you don't plant a garden, next day have vegetables. You, you don't plant a, a, a grass seed even and the next day have grass, right? There's a season of growth. And some of it that you can't see. And one of the things that we realize is that in this analogy of sowing and reaping, there is a season of growth that we may or may not see. But we're called to sow anyway. This, the second is this, that um, when, we, when we reap a harvest, we always save something for the next season, right? If you sow and you reap and you you consume all that you get, there's nothing to replant with. A modern way of saying it maybe was we we always pay it forward. We're always thinking about what we're going to invest in next, what we've been given. Great businesses do this. You know, the business juggernauts that we see, they just continue to invest their capital in their business, continue to grow their business that way. It's this idea that you always save some seed for planting again. These are just general principles from the agricultural um, thing, okay? And then the third is that there's a proportional relationship between sowing and reaping. Now, I said last week there's a proportional relationship in generosity, meaning a proportion of what you've been given and how much you give, but there's also a proportional relationship between how much, and that's what this verse actually says. The, the less you sow, the less you get. The more you sow, the more you get. That's what the word says, okay? And that's pretty, pretty straightforward. We understand that. Um, and that, again, would make sense. The more seeds you plant, the more crop you reap often, okay? And so, um, so that's kind of the agricultural idea. And I brought some things along today that I was going to use as my seeds, a little bit of an illustration, if you will. And, uh, and so, and I don't know how you think of sowing and reaping, but usually we try to do it in like an organized manner. And so we put down a few seeds and then we wait. I don't know if you guys can see these or not, but we kind of lay them out and we leave room for growth. 
and then we wait and see what God does. By the way, another interesting thing about these agricultural analogies is that um, the crop is dependent on God's grace, right? I mean, I know now we have these massive, you know, irrigation systems, and we can, like, grow, you know, things in the desert. I mean, it's amazing. If you go across the West, how many things are growing in places that normally don't grow. But the reality was, and especially when this letter was written to the churches, you had to wait for God to give you rain or give you sun, give you growth. You, you would pray. I, I recently met someone who talked about praying over a crop because everyone's saying there'll be no crop this year, which meant no food in the winter, no food for the kids, no farm for the family. And they prayed, and God provided a harvest for them, a reward of faith. So the reality is that the sowing and reaping is an agricultural principle. But I want to say this. I have heard this preached a lot in church. Have you heard this preached in church before? I've never particularly preached this before, but I've heard it preached before quite a bit. And I've heard it preached a lot on TV when people are saying, the more you give, the more you get, okay? And, and I, will, I, will, I will say this. I think this has been abused in the church. And so for some people, when you're talking about sowing and reaping, you're like, oh, here goes the sowing and reaping sermon. He's going to say, give me more, and I'll get more, and all that. That's not what we're saying. But there is a proportional relationship. And so the second idea I want to say about the sowing and reaping is that even though it's been abused, it's a solid biblical principle, okay? And maybe you'll disagree, and you say, nobody's abused it, but I've, I just feel like it's been abused before. And I'm just being honest with you. Send me a check and you'll get money. You know, and they have testimonials about people. I gave them, and man, I, God does that stuff. Like, I've had those experiences. I get it, man. But it's not the intent in proclaiming the word is that we would give to get. That's not the intent. We don't sow more so that we are guaranteed to get more. And, uh, but it's this idea that is a biblical principle. All right. The reason that, that many of us are a bit gun-shy about that is because, um, it, it, you know, you become resistant to giving. I mean, the funny thing is that this topic isn't talked a lot about in churches, giving. And I told you last week, I kind of hedged my own bets against it and said, listen, if you don't want to give to the church, give to somebody because I want to know for you, is it a heart issue for you? Because God creates in us a generous heart. Can we contribute? Can we give anything away? And some of us can't. Some of us struggle with that, right? And so we're trying to figure out this is a heart issue that we're dealing with here, this idea. But the reality is this. Um, while it's been abused, it's still a biblical principle, and I want you to know that I understand the objection to it. The next verse, and this is striking to me in this passage, deals with a fundamental objection, which is, you're trying to force me to give. You're trying to make me feel either, either guilty for not giving, I'm not, or you're trying to trick me into giving, right? Like I said, it's been abused. If you give a dime, you get a dollar kind of a deal, right? And so those objections come up in us and... Um, and the truth is, the next verse deals with that very objection of being forced to give. Read with me, if you will, verse 7, okay? And this is where we get our, our motivation for the joy boxes in the back. That's where we get it from right here. 
Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver, or he loves a joyful giver. And I want to read that again with you. He says, each should give in their heart as they have decided to give, as they have decided to give in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And, and I wrote that up as this way, right? We need to pre-decide our gifts. We need to pre-decide what we're going to give. And I got news. This helps you for so many reasons. But the first is that you've made a decision, a clear-headed decision. It wasn't an emotional decision. It wasn't a thing you're going to regret later. You know what I mean? And I know some of you have, have done that, and God's blessed that and praised God. But, you know, you pre-decide what you're going to give. Now, I do I want to say this. We're going to talk about this, too. I do think in the moment, if God teaches you, tells you what he wants you to give, your, our response as believers in Christ is obedience. That's what's required, obedience to the command, not to the command of a pastor or a person who's compelling us to give or making us, you know, you know, forcing us to give, but of God saying to us, don't worry about everyone else. This is what I'm calling you to do. You see, because all of a sudden then, in that moment, it becomes an issue between me and God, my heart and God's heart, my spirit and God's spirit. Are we in step or are we not? And it takes all the people out of the room. You know what I'm saying? It's not about, and that's one of the things that's funny because going back, and I'm not picking on passing the plate because I'm down with churches that pass the plate. But you know, it's that thing where you don't want to be the guy that doesn't put something in the plate, you know? Or you don't want to be the guy that takes something out of the plate. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of money in there sometimes. Or you need change. Maybe you need change. You know what I'm saying? You put in a 20, you take a 10. That's legit, right? That's giving. Nobody sees you put the 10 in when you do that. So you're under, you're, you know, you're like, oh, and there's that moment where people say, are you giving? And you start fumbling around for your, oh, where is it at? Honey, you got money, you know, and you have pre-decide what you will give. Ha have a predetermined thing. I, I tell you, in our family, we do this. This is just us, but we do it through budgeting. We pre-decided. It makes it really easy for us. We don't ever feel compelled. We pre-decide. But we also listen to God's spirit as we give. See, the truth is, that um, the reason we want to listen to God is because many times in my seeds that I have to sow, right, I have them in my pocket, and when I'm asked to give, I have to get them out. And, and the trick here is that um, you know how many seeds you have in your pocket, right? And God knows how many seeds you have in your pocket, but nobody else knows. Do you know what I'm saying? How much you have to sow you can say it's not fair for you to ask that, but God knows how much he's given you to sow. He knows how much he's entrusted to your care. And he knows when he's compelling you to do something, why he's compelling you to do it. And, and I don't know why he's compelling you, or you don't know why he's compelling me, but we know he's compelling us, and he knows. And that's all of a sudden why there's an issue like we find in the book of Acts where Ananias and Sapphira are part of the early church and God knows what they have and God knows what he has in their heart to give and they decide to act like God doesn't really know what they have. And they just give a little compared to what he's asked them to give because he knows. You see what I'm saying? And we look at that and we go, oh, what's wrong? That's crazy. But God's not asking us of things. We said it last week. He will not ask you to do something you aren't capable to do. 
And that's not just financially. That's with your gifts and talents. That's with your time. Anything in life that God is asking of you, he's not holding you accountable for things you can't do. And he's not holding us accountable as a church for things that we can't do. Only the things that we can. He knows how many seeds that we hold. The last I will say about this from this verse here, seven, is this. Okay, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give that way. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, God says. Not how I want to receive gifts. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a joyous giver. And that's why we kind of sillyly say, woohoo, when we say joy box, we're reminding each other it should be a joyful act to give. And I know, and there is times you're giving in obedience, and I'm not saying that. I've done that too, right? But God uses things. But the truth is that fundamentally, and even if when you, that for at first you don't enjoy it, that there becomes a time where you can't wait to give. God changes your heart. You can't wait to help somebody else. You can't wait to share what God has given you. You realize you have more than you need. I've realized that over and over in my life, over and over, God's taught me that, that lesson. Every stage, I have more than I need. I can always give to others. And again, not just church world, but anywhere, okay? God compels us to give, and he loves a joyful giver, a cheerful giver, all right? Verse eight, read with me if you will. And this is great. Paul says, in God, is able. I love that God is able. I just want to say that real quick. God is able. God is able to what? Make all grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That sentence is a mouthful. God is able to make all things abound in you, make grace abound in you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I offered you a challenge last week. I said, I want to hear a story from someone who has given everything to God and in the end had nothing. I want to hear it. That's a real challenge. I've asked people that question. I've seen missionaries, and I've seen pastors, and I've seen faithful people in the congregation who, and I've seen people, people in churches who give and give and give and give all the way to the grave. And you don't see them going, I'm a pauper. I overgave. I overhelped. I overblessed. They're just blessed, and they keep blessing. And they keep getting blessed, and they're just, they don't, they're joyful. And it's beautiful, you see. That's a standing challenge. If you, I want to hear the story. I'm not joking, church. If you know somebody, I want, to, I want to hear it. I want to talk to that person. I want to know what that's about. Because I need that for my own discipleship. I think it is not possible to outgive the grace of God. I don't think it's possible. And so what he says, now we've kind of made our little things neat, and we've sown our seeds. But what, G, what Paul teaches here is that these gifts, when we give them to the cross right, will abound, woo, in grace. Do you see it almost got me? <laughs> you all awake? That sucker was boogieing, man. What he said is that these gifts that we sow to Christ will abound, abound in grace. Do you believe that that's true? Do you believe that when you stand, and you know what? It's funny because I often wonder if you gave reluctantly, would it come back and hit you right, you know, <laughs> right there? I've heard those stories. <laughs> um, but when we give to Christ, 
the gift comes right back. Grace. And you know what you find? You find that you have more to give. You're like, oh, I got more. Look at Daryl. He's nervous. He's in the front. He's like, why did I sit in the front today? You know, and God gives you more. And you're like, okay. And then you go, well, I guess God gave me more. I'll give more. And you give more. And the band's going to kill me because I'm going to break something. You see what I'm saying? And then you look and you have more. Look at all the, I've got so many seeds to sow. And I have my neat row up here. And it's, there's stuff everywhere. I think this is the principle. You can't outgive God. We're going to find out why later. Paul wraps all this up at the end of this verse. But it's beautiful. You can't outgive God. You will abound in every good work. And I know I'm being kind of funny, but I want to read to you from the Psalm 112. Hear what the word says. Praise the Lord. That's hallelujah. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. That's the man of faith. Listen now. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the, the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. Hear that? That that blew me away. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord, Yahweh. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. For he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Here it is. His horn will be lifted high. Isn't that wild? That's from the Psalm 112. It says, your whole life, the one who's being obedient to God's commands will be blessed. And in the end, it says, your horn will be lifted high. And it literally means like the brass section. Your horns will be up. You know what I mean? Your, 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 your disposition, not prideful, not boastful, but satisfied in Christ. Pleased what you've done with what God has given you. Praising him for the generosity that he created in you. Maybe you're not, maybe you've always been generous, but I can tell you I've not always been that way, and I'm not there yet, so I'm not like, oh, look, I'm the best. Man, I struggle with being generous, but the more I'm generous, I recognize that's Christ in me and not myself. It's not me, but him working in me. All right, I told you we're going to get to this. Here it is in verse 10. Now, listen to what he says. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower, and we already said that, God has given us seeds in our pocket, right? He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I'm going to mount my slide, so let's see. Yeah, we'll rebound his grace. Yeah, this is cool because in verse 10, what the scripture says is that God gives the seed, and we get that, but God gives the bread. He gives the seed and the bread. I told you earlier, there's a season between giving and harvesting, you know, sowing and reaping. But here's what he says. He gives us a seed to plant, but where does bread happen? 
Bread happens after planting, after a season of prayer, after harvest, and after you've given it away. At the very end, somebody takes that, that harvest and they, they do something that happens in kitchens. I don't know what it is. It's cooking? Is that what that's called, Christian? Okay, I don't know. what, But it's magic. It's, they stir a pot and poop, out comes this like piece of bread. I don't know. But that's what I'm saying. It's the very end of the process. And I'll tell you why I mentioned this. He gives both the seed and the bread because he is sovereign over all of it. All of it. Many of you will be like me and you'll have concerns. Man, if I give this, what's going to happen to it? If I, if I share this with this person, this group, what are they going to do with it? Listen, God is sovereign. If he's commanding you to give it, you give it. And you let him be sovereign over what happens from it. But it also means if he gives you discernment, man, that's going to be bad. Then don't. Don't give com- under compulsion. It might be bad for the person or the organization to have it. He is sovereign over the whole process. He gives seed to the sower and bread to those who are eating. He is the giver of life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, okay? So he's sovereign. I want you to see that, right? Does that make sense? He's sovereign over everything. Now, verse 11, and this is great. He says, you will be made rich. Notice the tense, will be made rich in every way. There you go. So we're going beyond just any kind of financial thing or any kind of one area of our life. And every way will become rich so that you can be generous on every occasion. You can be generous on every occasion. I had an interesting conversation yesterday with someone in my family who talked about the experience of perceiving others as rich. And, and he was talking about how he went to someone's house and he said, man, these people are rich. And he thought he knew them pretty well. And he went to their house. He's like, they're rich. And I said, you know, it's funny because we all have that perception of who's wealthy, don't we? And, and, and as we talked about it, he said, you know, it's funny you said that because I had a couple of kids that came to my house and they said to us, you guys are rich because what he has, they don't have at home. It's a whole different thing. They don't have something like, you know, the, the amenities, a clean carpet, uh, windows that don't have curtains blown out of them. You know what I'm saying? But he's in a house that's got like the built-in Frigidaire stuff or whatever and the marble tops. And he's like, wow, this is really rich. And I told him, I said, I tell you what, I guarantee you, and you know this is true, if you go into those people's houses and have all this stuff and the amenities, they look to someone else and they say, man, those people are rich though. Right? I mean, we're just barely making it. (laughs) But those people are rich. No, we're rich. I mean, we're we're all rich. We are. And we're blessed to be a blessing. We're given so we can give to others. And that's what he says here in, in verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that, you can, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Man, how awesome would that be? You know, to be generous on every occasion. And through us, now he says, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And through us, you will be... Uh, Man, your gifts will be manifest as thanks to God. So you keep going. You have all these opportunities for joy. And I know what some of you are thinking. Don't throw any more bouncy balls in church. And I'm going to not do that. Because there's something about giving away bouncy balls that's fun. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> right? I mean, it's a joyous process, giving them away. Oh, my goodness. Mike's like the guys in the back aren't getting enough bouncy balls, right? Tyler wants some over in the sound booth. Listen, 
what would it take to be a blessing to somebody in your life? Well, who do you give these away to? What do you do with everything that God has given you? And when you get to the end, all you have left is joy. Right? Praise God. That's silly. I mean, I'm not just trying to be stupid. I'm trying to say, really? Like, what do we do? What are we afraid of? And bring in happiness and laughter and joy. Paul says this. Our gifts will manifest as thanks to God. People will just go, man, praise God you came. Praise God you gave. Praise God you supported. Praise God you prayed. Praise God you served. Praise God you showed up. Praise God you hung out. Praise God you didn't leave. Praise God. It manifests in thanksgiving to God. Our gifts, our joy is grace to others and to ourselves. This service that you perform in verse 12 is not only supplying the needs. You see, we always think that, well, we'll meet the need and that's it. No, but it is also manifesting in many expressions of thanks to God. It's overflowing in praise to God. Because of the service of which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Man, that's a beautiful verse. That's a beautiful thing. Your gifts will manifest in thanksgiving to God as you share with them and everything else. And what does it say? Your obedience will, be, will manifest in thanksgiving to God because of your obedience to Christ. You, you go because you're called to. You give because you're called to. You serve because you're called to. And people see your obedience, not to an organization, institution, or a person, or, but to God himself. Wow, you really believe this stuff. You are really giving yourself away. It's beautiful. Our, our generosity manifests in thankfulness. It's simple obedience for us, but others, it says in 14, receive it as grace. Listen to the final word. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that he does that in our hearts? That he turns our hearts from like inside to outside? That he, he breaks our hold over all the things we have to have? And I've said it before today and I mean it. It's not a joke. I'm not saying I got that figured out, but I'm saying he's doing that in me. I hope he's doing that in you, breaking us open so we can bless others with what we have. It's, it's, it's what our call is in this life. Well, we're going to end here today. Um, the funny thing as I think about what God does is we're going to have communion. And, and I was explaining communion to someone just recently, and Communion is, is like the opposite process. You know, earlier we heard that the seed manifests in bread. But here we see that bread that's broken actually brings a harvest of righteousness. And it's not the bread. It's, it's not magic bread that when you break it open, you're saved. It's Jesus who sat down with the disciples. And he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And he said, every time you eat this bread, remember me. 
And then he took a cup, and in the same way, he gave thanks and praise. And he, he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take it. This is a new promise wrote in my blood that your sins will be forgiven. I said it's crazy because the truth is this. Jesus, on this cross, ended his life possessing nothing. You've seen the pictures, the drawings, the statues. He, he's barely c- covered, and that's probably just for your satisfaction. As he hung dying with nothing left to give, he says, forgive them, Father. Forgive their sins. And from his utter lack, he gives us eternal life. From a position where everyone had left and someone said, what good is he now? He can do nothing. God saves the world. This is what compels us as believers in Jesus. This is what calls us to mission as believers in Jesus. Is his offering with hands empty on a cross. If you, if you don't know that today, it's as simple as understanding that truth. Jesus died to forgive all of your sins. And a righteousness that we could never have, a price that we could never pay, is paid for us, a debt that we can never get out of in any way, is lifted from us as an act of grace. We just receive that from him. And that's the truth. And so if you, if you got stuff in your life that you're like, but, but I'm a mess, I don't have it. That's who Jesus died for. He died for all of us and we're all a mess. He gave his life for all of us. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and we'll have communion. Father, today for my brothers and sisters who are here, I give you praise and thanks. We know how you saved us and delivered us from all kinds of evil, from all kinds of sinfulness, Father, and you still are doing your work through your spirit today. You're still teaching, correcting, sharpening, changing, transforming us for your glory and our good. I pray, Father, for those who are here who don't believe the gospels for them, that you would convince them in their hearts that it wouldn't be something I did or this church did, but your Holy Spirit would manifest in them in an undeniable way that they would receive a grace that's too great to fully understand. And Father, for all of us who know you, I pray that you would continue to do this work in our hearts, that you would continue to break us, to change us, that we might truly believe the gospel and give ourselves willingly to others. May you continue to do this work. And as we come to your table today to receive it, we know we aren't worthy. We don't come of our own accord, but at an invitation of you to receive, to taste and see. May you be glorified as your people gather today to receive a blessing from you in Christ. Amen.